Welcome everybody, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Uh, today I'm delighted that we've got Kate Atkin returning. Kate did a fantastic session on the imposter phenomenon or the imposter syndrome, whatever we call it, which is flavor of the month in February, which you can see on YouTube or see on the uh, Negotiators podcast, uh, podcast uh, channel. Welcome Kate, thanks for joining us once again. And, thanks for having me back, Derek. And absolutely delighted that you're going to talk to us about uh, about your book, which you published a number of years ago on confidence. But I know you've been doing a lot of work on it since then, uh, updating your notes. Tell us a little bit what you're doing on the imposter syndrome and your PhD, what a confidence uh, wall is and how we might help other people use that. And maybe if we get time, talk to us a little bit about the training you did on uh, EFT, which I think is uh, tapping so with more ado over to you Kate and uh, I'm really looking forward to your session thanks for joining us thank you Derek now I'm delighted to be here and and be welcomed back and one of the things that often crops up when I talk about the imposter phenomenon as you rightly alluded that it should be termed but imposter syndrome as most people term it is that people tend to confuse the imposter chatter that we have going on with confidence so with this conversation that I'm intending it to be more as a more than a presentation Derek I thought we'd discuss why confidence isn't the same as the imposter chatter in the first place and then look at how we can build our own confidence as well as a few thoughts that link yes quite rightly to the book that I wrote in actually going back to 2008 and um, the confident manager is is one that I wrote then and I was really pleased once I'd written the book with the take up of it, but also to find when I did my master's in 2013 to 2015, that the research that I came across both on the imposter phenomenon and self-efficacy, which is what academics tend to term confidence, actually backs up what I've written in the book. So it was like, phew, big sigh of relief because the research says what I had known and thought about and heard from other people for many years and also worked on my own confidence as well. So it's, it's interesting when you look at the two topics and I thought I'd just explain a little bit more for those who weren't there on the imposter phenomenon workshop. The imposter phenomenon is, is this phoniness that we tend to think we're going to get found out at some point in time it's an internal sense of phoniness we tend to worry that at some point somebody's going to tap us on the shoulder and say excuse me you can't do this any longer but confidence is different in that confidence is this perceived ability that yes I know I'm good at this I know I can do this and the imposter chatter goes but what if this time it doesn't work out so you can actually hold both concepts in yourself at the same time. It's a little bit like you can feel grief and you can still feel joy at the same time. And, and it's a mix of the two things going on within the complex human beings that we are. And confidence itself, I mentioned, is this perceived ability to succeed at a given task. There's a there's a weighty tomb just down my side. It's it's a whole book on this topic by the wonderful Albert Bandura, who wrote this in, in 19. Well, he wrote the, the, the main research in 1977. This book was actually published a bit later than that. But this is this is my current summer reading for any of you who want to have any sympathy with me of the, the weightiness of, of the tomb that I've, I've got to put myself through. Um, because confidence is, is this 
perception that I can do this one thing. But what we tend to think of as confidence, we tend to want to become confident all of the time. We tend to want to have this perception of, hey, do you know what? I shall just walk around feeling confident. I've got a suspicion, and by all means, comment and put your thoughts into the chat, but I've got a suspicion that that might be a little bit more like arrogance rather than confidence. It's the, do you know what? I can do this. Hey, never mind. I'll be confident all of the time. Actually, that might not be the case. Uh, that, as I say, might be arrogance, but I welcome your views on, on that. So by all means, pop your comments into the chat. And confidence itself is something that I think we only ever notice when we don't have it. I think most of us, Derek, have this per perception of just not forgetting. We, we tend to forget that we're not feeling confident until suddenly it comes and hits us. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm worried about this session. And we were talking about going back face to face just before you started the recording and doing something live in front of people this week. And it's quite interesting how when you haven't done something for a while, for me personally, this one on Friday that I'm doing and yours is Thursday, then sometimes you go, oh, how does this work? And I think that's that's a level of confidence. It's not the imposter chatter. It's not the same as, am I going to be found out to be a fraud? It's the, hmm, haven't done this for a while. I'm not in my groove. And I'm just wondering whether it will turn out okay. It's slightly different. I don't know what you think, Derek, from your perspective. Well, I was just going to say, before I speak, I always ask myself, and goodness knows how many times I've spoken, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Am I bonkers? or what and when you talk to other speakers you find they have the same feeling you just really want to get on with it and uh, that 15 or half an hour beforehand uh, is um is probably when you're at your lowest and you just want to start and i think that's good because it stops you being arrogant it yeah. means it gets some adrenaline going it gets a little bit of nerves is the right word anxiety wrong words probably but just a bit of tension a bit like if i was going out to play for arsenal i ought to be a little bit nervous about it um etc because you're dreaming there Derek <laughs> from the other people that, uh, that are here so yeah I I think so and it'd be interesting on a scale of naught to ten if you measured yourself on that at different stages and I don't think it matters how old you are if you're doing something important and you're not preparing for it then that's arrogance I'm with you Kate yeah, yeah. And I think when you've you've got you can overplay perhaps courage and, and saying, I'm just going to push push through this anxiety and I'm just going to do it anyway. And if you overplay that without considering the impact it can have on other people, I think that's a, that's an issue where having courage and consideration in balance can be really helpful. But if you've got over if you've overplayed the courage and underplayed the consideration that's that's also where arrogance can come across but also some people overplay the consideration and underplay the courage and that's where it becomes submissive subservient we don't speak up when we need to in meetings we don't put our viewpoints forward when it would be useful we don't take up the challenges that would help us grow and it's it's interesting to think about. I, I think those two and I'll come back to courage if we've got the time towards the end, because I think there's something about courage that we could explore a bit as well. Now, there's some really good comments coming into the chat and some thoughts here. So I'll pick some of them off if that's all right with you, Derek. Of course, go for it. And we'll start with Alex's comment stroke question of does confidence always come from experience or is there such a thing as innate confidence? 
that's a really interesting question. And I think if you explore it with children, there are certain fears that we are born with. And I'm not sure I can actually accurately remember them all, but there are certain fears that we're born with, of which I think falling is, is one. And I'm not sure whether- Loud, loud noises. Loud noises, thank you. So there's certain fears we're born with. The rest we actually learn. And and we learn to be fearful of judgments being negative or, or and um, we learn to be fearful of certain things through social upbringing. So actually that innate confidence, I think you would find in, I'm going to say, let's say a two year old, but not necessarily a 12, 22 or however many years we want to admit to being ourselves on this call year old, because the innate confidence often then has questions posed and we become aware of other people's judgments and the way in which we're being perceived. So that's that's one thought that I have with your question. The other thing from a research perspective is that it very definitely indicates that research research indicates that confidence grows through taking action. And I'll just show you a couple of slides because it links to this. And, and I like this particular quote by Benjamin Disraeli is that there's no happiness without action. In, in other words, if we just sit and hope for happiness to come, sometimes it's actually really helpful to get up and do something. And I think the same links to confidence. And I've twisted Benjamin Disraeli's quote to say that there's no confidence building without action. It's like for those of you who are, who are from, from Britain and get the chance to watch EastEnders, you know, it's like sitting on the sofa, watching EastEnders and hoping that you will feel happy at the end of it. It's not going to happen. And it's like attending this or watching the video of this particular workshop and, and discussion and hoping you will then feel confident at the end. I don't think it's like that. And, and there's another psychologist called Lara Kays who talks about confidence being built on a step-by-step -step basis. So one thing at a time and almost about learning to feel uncomfortable and becoming comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling if that makes sense to those of you who are who are watching and if you leapt this river you could go woohoo yes great I've done that and, and I have walked across hot coals I've broken boards with my bare hands sort of you know I've done those those things that you do when you're seeing motivational speakers but actually does that build your confidence I don't think it does not certainly for me anyway, in that the self-efficacy is built on a step-by-step -step basis. It's one thing at a time that may help you feel confident. So I use the stepping stones as an analogy to say, take one step, then take the next. And it's okay to be a bit scared, as you mentioned, Derek. You know, actually that nerves can be really helpful, but don't let them hold you back. Sure. Sure, Kate, I must congratulate you on those slides. I'll just tell everybody now that uh, I did ask Kate. Uh, Kate's had all sorts of lessons on those slides, which <laughs> I've declined to go down that route, but they do look fantastic with your slides and your, your uh, picture in, in the circle. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So um, um, there are another questions in, in the chat as well. I don't know if you want to pick one or two off as I'm doing this as well, but um, yeah. Nigel's posed is confidence akin to muscle memory. 
there will be something and I don't know whether you'd say it was akin to muscle memory Nigel but there will be something about confidence that if I've done it before I will be able to do it again and that's something that I'll come to because Derek and I have been discussing the confidence wall and I'd like to give you some some thoughts on that and how you can use the technique for yourself but also very much share it with others who want to build their confidence because it's something I wrote about in the book but also something that links very much into research as well. Nigel would you do you want to make a quick comment or was that a oh no sorry that's a thumbs up I beg your pardon I thought it was a hands up for a second um John Lisbeth's talking about the fake it till you make it which is mm. of course is the Amy Cuddy research on yeah uh, yeah on, on and, and I think that goes back to Susan Jeffers book which is into the 1990s feel the fear and do it anyway it's another seminal book which is brilliant to, to read but there's something with this, the fake it till you make it, that links to the imposter phenomenon, because what happens with the imposter chatter is you don't realise you've already made it and you think you are still faking it. So I think it's Brené Brown who twists the fake it till you make it to fake it until you become it. And I think there's something about owning what we can do that's really helpful rather than think we've still got to carry on faking it and that question about pushing through is is it is it bullish it's an interesting point if it on on that about there's something to do with the the social psychology that men and women are brought up differently so from an early years upbringing women are taught when there's something happens, they tend to go there, there, never mind, let me let me soothe you and 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 uh, sort of help you out. Whereas men tend to get taught, push through, keep going, never mind. So whether it is bullish, I don't I don't know. But I know for some men that pushing actually is their trigger for their imposter chatter is their trigger for some for, for lacking confidence. And I've had one gentleman share with me a couple of weeks ago on a, a workshop that he was pushing through and potentially because of his lack of confidence appearing arrogant so we may see arrogance in some people but actually it's linked to the underlying lack of confidence which I find fascinating because we don't know what's going on on somebody else's insides and and I can see you're nodding and, and agreeing with me there if it as well and it is it is fascinating about that part of what's going on underneath um so other things now, there's lots of messages coming in and I'm having a quick scan down here. Go on, Derek. Yeah, Godfrey's yeah, talking about social confidence differs yeah. in confidence in a skill or action, which, yeah. tell, which which is bringing us in a little bit to Will Kintish's area, but also the area of the imposter, not the imposter syndrome, the uh, area of uh, John Baker last week of introverts and extroverts. It's interesting to see if introverts do lack confidence or it's just their way of processing I think it's the latter I'm thinking it through as I'm talking it's a judgment thing from what I know and having read Susan Kane's book quiet I wasn't able to attend John's session last week but that piece of it's again it's a judgment it's a perception and from what I hear sometimes then because they are perceived by others the introverts as lacking confidence they maybe doubt themselves more because they have that label put onto them but that's not actually helpful at all it's not saying that they have an innate difference in in levels of confidence at all but the interesting point about mus muscle memory and and social confidence in a, in a 
confidence in a skill or action. It's going back to memory pathways that I heard a lady, Marilee Springer, I went to the States at a conference in San Diego quite a few years ago now, but really interesting one. And Marilee Springer was talking there about memory pathways. And so we do have different memory pathways of which the riding the bicycle is the type of muscle memory pathway. You just get on and do it and you, you just somehow know how to do it. You don't need to think about it. But the social confidence side, yeah, there's something about that that's an interesting one too. Um, and if it talks about um, triggers and anchors, uh, when anyone says to her, can we have a word, she thinks she's going to the headmaster or headmistress's study at that point. And uh, I get that feeling as well. And that's when the com confidence goes straight down, if it doesn't it, at that yeah. point. Yeah, that, that comment of, I've just got some feedback for you. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> And we always tend to, it's, uh, the human body has, or the human brain rather, has a negative bias to it as well. And we, we tend to go towards that negative perspective. Um, so we have to, in some ways, we have to fight the, 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 that negative bias. We have to fight towards going to something more positive and make it. So we, we need to remember the things that we have done and make extra effort on that rather than always focus on the things that we haven't done. And so if we got that negative bias, we need to put extra steps in place to enable us to do that. And if I just show you the four ways that Bandura's research and other researchers since him have shown how confidence can be built, we can talk a bit about some of the ways in which we can build that more positive bias. And these four ways, I'm going to go from the bottom up. And you mentioned, Derek, about nerves or, or um, you know, whether or not that's healthy. The psychological state is how we're feeling. How do we know we lack confidence? We tend to have an increased heart rate. How do we know we lack confidence? Well, I might be, be um, having a little bit of a dryness of the throat or my palms might be sweating. We assess that as lacking confidence. But if you had an increased heart rate, your palms were sweating and you had dryness in your throat and you were excited about a, a, a situation you were about to go into, psychologists of research renaming it from a lack of confidence or nervousness to excitement can help. So we tend to look at our psychological states and do an assessment of ourselves, but reframing it to excitement can help for some people. Social persuasion. So having somebody in your corner that's saying, I've got you, I know you can do this, I'm with you all the way, um, that's going to help and support you can be really useful. So having somebody in your corner in that way. But it comes with a red flag, this one, because with social persuasion, it might not be your nearest and dearest. And your nearest and dearest might question, do you really want to do that? Are you sure you want to take that gig on? Do you want to go for that promotion? Are you not stretching yourself a bit too thin? And they love you and they want you to succeed and they also want you to stay safe. So the social persuaders might not be your nearest and dearest. They might be, but just be aware that if they question you a lot, they're not necessarily your, your best encouragement to give your confidence a boost. Kate, where does mentors come into that? Mentors come into probably that one in that if you've got somebody, because the other thing is if you've got your best pal that says I've got your back or you've got a mentor that says I've got your back and believe you can do this, you probably go about your best pal. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? You know, because they're my, they're my best mate, you know, and you wouldn't necessarily take it in the same way as you would from a mentor. 
because a mentor has an impartial view. And so I think you're more likely to take the social persuasion from a mentor than you are from um, somebody who's got a, what you would see as a biased view. The vicarious experiences are watch, watching inspirational speakers, listening to motivational, motivational folks and, and, and looking at them and going, well, if they can, I can, except when I've seen the likes of, and, and yes, it was Anthony Robbins that I watched and did the firewalk with and things like that, but actually they're too far removed to be a true vicarious experience. A vicarious experience is a role model. It's somebody who's closer to you, somebody who's maybe closer to your upbringing. So for me, somebody who's maybe come out of a rural upbringing, um, a, a, a perception where you weren't necessarily expected to grow beyond your own social circle in the in the early years and I come from rural Lincolnshire and it's interesting we used to joke to need to get a passport out of the county but actually seeing others who've done something that have had a similar experience to you can be really helpful so a vicarious experience is a role model and a role model who's had that similarity and then the mastery experiences Derek I don't know if you want to pick up another question or if you want me to cover mastery experiences which lead to the confidence wall and we could either do the confidence wall next or we could pick up another question next yeah let's let's keep going kate okay so the mastery experiences if i if i just give you an overview of these and then i'll talk you through what i designed as the confidence wall mm. so the mastery experiences are things that you have done in your past recent or distant that have gone well and you feel good about so you've done it. It's not the same as getting feedback from somebody else. That is good, but that's not the same. This is something that you know was a stretch for yourself. And it could be one, one situation from years gone by. It's when I was at school, we used to do cross-country running. I was good at stamina. I could do the cross-country running. I was lousy at jumping hurdles. And one day I left a hurdle standing behind me. And I'm going in the inside. Yes! That's an achievement. Everybody else sees what should happen. So it could be asking a question in a meeting and you're going, yes, got that one out. Um, everybody else sees you've asked a great question. Don't think anything of it. But you on the inside know that was a challenge for you. So the mastery experiences can be large or can be small. They can be getting a, a gig or a job promotion, but they can be tiny little things that you spent time taking time out for yourself to ponder on something and to write whether it be write your book Derek or write my book you know those small say small <laughs> not writing a book but taking time out to do your your goals as you mentioned in your recent post actually I love that when you're viewing the view of Swanage sunset and that can be a mastery experience just having something you reflect and go yep that was a good moment, or it was a good moment when I spent time with my children. It was a good moment at that particular birthday party that we had, or that particular family gathering. So the mastery experiences are things that you can build over time that help you build your confidence. So coming back to the step-by-step -step approach, Bandura's done this in a list in this way, and I've done it from, top to, from bottom to top because the mastery experiences research indicates are the best way of you growing your confidence. So we've got an opportunity for you to have a think about doing your own mastery experiences. And if you would like to grab a pen and a piece of paper, if you've got one to hand, 
No, in which case, Alex, you'll just have to make some notes to yourself in your head or on your phone, by all means. But if you have got a pen and a piece of paper to hand, then you might like to just draw a brick wall. So pretend you're five and randomly draw some lines down, create a few bricks. It doesn't matter whether it was a wall that would actually stand up if you were a proper brick layer, but randomly draw a brick wall on your piece of paper. Bricks need to be large enough to write in. And then my encouragement to you is to think of filling out three to five bricks. So things that you have done that in your recent or distant past that you can feel good about. That's it. So just take a couple of minutes if you'd like to, just to think about those. And I don't know if you just sort of stand, sit in silence with you. Kate, while people are doing that, and I know mm. I should never talk while people are sitting in silence. Um, this, I like this. This seems, I know, would normally mind map it or make a list from time to time. Um, but I like the bricks. I like the metaphor of the bricks building up. Yeah, there's something we can do, and, and we haven't had time to explain it, but we can dig the foundations. You know, we can look at our psychological states and we can work on our, our, ourselves and, and sort of do some foundation layings. But the brick wall, and, and that can be built as something that's solid, that helps us. And, and what I also like, and we'll do this in a moment, is the reflection back that the brick wall helps us create and the continuation of building it as much as you want. So my encouragement to everybody was to see if you could find somewhere between three and five things to write down. That's brilliant. And on live here, we've got a huge amount of educators and also watching it on YouTube and the podcast. So this is a great chance for those educators to think through how they can help other people and yeah. multiply Monday yeah. Night Live by yeah. a number of times. Super. So a quick question then to everybody who has written something down. If you could just pause for a moment and reread what you've written. So just take a moment of reflection, a little bit like those of you who know the NLP side, sort of think about how are you feeling as you re-experience that? Uh, where were you at that particular point in time? What could you hear? And what I'd like you to share, if you're up for it, is to share in the chat the emotion that you feel as you reread each moment. So what's the emotion that crops up? You're clearly pushing people into uh, positives here, aren't you? Exactly. Because we're so able to focus on the negatives, we need to make that extra effort to focus on the positives. Yeah. So this is something that is the wall contains only things that you've done that you feel good about. And I love the fact we've got proud cropped up twice from folks here. And actually... <laughs> What's so interesting is we're often told in childhood messages, you know, pride comes before a fall, you know, don't get too big for your boots, nobody likes a smart, and you can fill in that last word, um, but actually feeling proud is a really healthy, sensible feeling, it's one of these, yep, and when you can look at your wall and go, yes, 
I've done that. And I love the fact that if you've popped in here, sitting here and smiling away, beaming, you know, wow, I did all that. Absolutely. And sometimes it is surprise that crops up for people. It's that point of going, do you know what? If I've done that, then I can do this. And what we do is we take the wall with us. So if we're experiencing a confidence wobble, as I tend to term them, and we get this, oh, I'm not sure I can cope in this situation, you can take a moment to look back on your wall, re-experience it, bring up those positive emotions to then say, yep, if I've done those things, then we'll be able to do these. So you use your past experiences to give yourself that confidence, but we tend to forget our past experiences so we do need to make a little bit of an extra effort to remember them and and I created a wall which you can choose to do yourselves if if you wish to and you can create a wall in pictures too so you can have something like a, a visual montage and create one like that so Alex I know you said you couldn't write yours down at this point in time well, you might want to choose to go through your archive of photos and pull out those that are meaningful to you so you've got a pictorial wall so that's one that, that that I've I've created. I don't know how many people can actually see that. If I do a quick, if I do a quick spotlight, so those of you who can see that in a in a large a large picture. Yeah, we can see that, Kate. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, I can see that. That's very similar to putting post-its or confident post-its around your bathroom yes. cabinet or goals that you want to achieve because it sets up the reticular activation system to be positive that part of the brain that focuses on what we want yes yeah and tim's just mentioned one of my favorite quotes which is actually here on a postcard that i've created so it's true humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less by c.s lewis i love that quote tim yeah it's a brilliant one to think of we tend to be focused about us how am i coming across actually one of the things that i've learned over the course of running 20 plus years of, of um speaking and running workshops is actually it's not about me it's about the audience it's about what do they want you know what do they need to hear and if you can focus on that and get your message across it's it helps us get over our own egos as well i think there's something something that gets in the way is often our egos is are they going to like me what are they going to think of me that's the wrong thing it's are they going to find this useful you know how can i make it effective those are the right questions to ask rather than what are they going to think of me as i do this presentation yeah Derek, any other questions that you've picked up no i was just thinking of a quote i heard at this at the um Golden Gate Breakfast Club last week that I've heard several times and um, particularly when I've been in the US and listening to speakers, speakers need to get their therapy done before they speak in front of an audience. <laughs> in yes. other words, the me trauma, here's what's happened to me and this is how I solved it. Who cares less, which is the point yeah. you're making and the point Will and I always make. It's all about the uh, it's all about the other person, which is straight out of doubt. Yeah, there, there is something about being authentic. There's something about sharing what you've experienced, but it's not about you. It, yeah. You share it for a purpose rather than for 
um, as you said, that that therapy piece. I'm just loving the fact that if it's popped in, she's going she's going to create that picture wall and put it on the PC. And I like the fact that we can now with the smartphones, you can photograph the one that you've created already and store it in your favorites if you want to. So it's with you to hand. You can stick it on the bathroom mirror if you want to. But also one of the things that I find people tell me when they're creating their confidence wall is that they look through it and go, well, that's not good enough to go on the wall. Now, I don't think I could put that on the wall. And if they were then asked to share it with somebody else, it's this piece about, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. But if you do, if you could have a discussion with others about what's on your confidence wall, then you'll find actually listening to other people share it. Coming back to this point that Alex has popped in there about nourishers. If other people are sharing what their nourishers are, then it helps create a, a spiral upward effect of positive emotions. So actually use the confidence wall for yourself, but also my suggestion would be to take it and share it. What a it's terrific fun. thing to do at um, a team away day or where you're trying yeah. to build a team away day. And I was thinking, can it be a great idea to do a confidence wall? Maybe if you come back and see us in the autumn and we could probably do a confidence wall and, and share it and um, actually, um, test out how it would work if we if we ran it because i'm you want I'm, to do, did you want to do that or should we take five minutes now for a breakout derek well i'm just thinking it's uh, nearly it's 20 time nearly yeah to six so um i think um i think we've got it but i think we could do that as part of um and see how you're getting on with your uh, phd research a little bit about the imposter syndrome because um like uh, many people on the call you're so knowledgeable we need to uh, tap your uh, tap your um, <laughs> Yeah. Wisdom is the oh, wisdom. thank you. Well, there's there's something from the PhD perspective. If I've got if I've got another moment to, to share a couple more slides with you, yeah, is, is to look at a, another quote that I particularly like and that stuck with me. So when I mentioned the psychological states at the at the bottom of the list of four, and I said about reassessing your nervousness to excitement. Now that's what researchers indicate works well. What works well for me is a saying by Ray Kroc, who founded McDonald's. And the saying goes, you can be either green and growing or ripe and rotten. The choice is yours. And that for me helps me reframe my nervousness to green and growing. That to me is a much more encouraging thing than, hey, do you know what? I'm stretching my comfort zone. It's like, I'd rather be in my comfort zone. Thank you very much. But green and growing versus ripe and rotten, Hmm, maybe I'll choose green and growing. And, and that gives that positive spin on it. It doesn't mean that you can't pause, you can't stop, and you can't decide actually to say, let me take a few moments out and time in, as, I, as I've heard it termed, which is, is really good to have the opportunity just to reflect on yourself and pause and recuperate. You don't have to push all of the time, but to push and feel nervous and reframe it as green and growing, I find really helpful. And then one final thing that I'm going to show you is a, a seven step mnemonic that I think is brilliant. It's done by a lady called Ros Savage, who's rowed all three oceans single handedly. She has an MBE and she raises awareness of the plastics in the ocean. She's a super speaker. And I'm proud to be able to call her a friend as well, because we've met a number of times and brainstormed on, on confidence, the imposter phenomenon and courage. And she writes and talks about courage a lot. And I'm currently researching courage, too. 
and she's got these seven these seven steps so i'll just read them out and give you an overview before derek draws it to a close having a reason so the calling the first part of courage using courage is the mnemonic having a calling having a reason if you've not got a strong enough why then i think apathy is most likely to override so have that calling, have that reason for doing something. Taking ownership, if, if there's a phrase that I came across years ago was, if it is to be, it is up to me. And actually deciding that you are going to be the one who does it, not wait for somebody else. Living with uncertainty. Now we've all been doing that for the last 12 plus months, haven't we? But actually recognizing that you can't control outcomes. You don't necessarily know what's going to happen and be okay with that is helpful. Knowing that you have resources, your own internal knowledge, skills and abilities, but also other resources like your mentor or like somebody in your social circle so that was going to help give you that level of persuasion to do something. Deciding to take the action and do it. The grit and determination to persevere and to keep going because self-efficacy, the academic researchers indicate that if you have high levels of self-efficacy, you are more likely to persevere even at unsolvable problems than you are if you've got low levels of self-efficacy. So grit and determination is something that's really important. And if you've not come across it, Angela Duckworth's work in that area is fascinating. And then the final one, which I think is also really important, very much links back to the imposter phenomenon, which is where we started, Derek, is evolution is actually recognize that we evolve and what we tend to do is we tend to measure ourselves against our memories of our past selves rather than who we are now and who we have become so coming back to that fake it till you make it fake it till you become it it's recognized that you have become it so that evolution part so i'm going to leave you with that as my final thought, if you're wanting to bring any other questions up, please do, Derek. Well, we're nearly out of time, Kate. Absolutely. Oh, no. Thanks for joining us yet again. And there's lots of people, things to think about for us watching this live, but also if you're watching this on YouTube or watching this on the Negotiators podcast. If anybody's got any questions for you outside of the recording, Kate, how do they get hold of you? They can get hold of me very simply at Kate at kateatkin.com or go to the website of kateatkin.com so k-a-t-e-a-t-k-i-n.com fantastic and uh, i think confidence is a real issue uh, it's the last thing on my uh, negotiator's score sheet if you, you need to be confident but you need to do your research and your preparation etc etc understand the psychological moves and um, it is one of those things that we need to help other people with. So, Kay Atkin, thanks for joining us. Will you stay and join us for a, a cup of tea, etc., cetera, uh, for a few minutes? And uh, I will do. if you're watching this on YouTube, watching this on the Negotiations podcast, please like it. Please uh, recommend it to other people. And please recommend Kay Atkin. And please join us when we restart uh, Monday Night Live in early in September. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Kate. You're welcome.